Well, hello, hello. This is part two of our mindset series. So if you haven't seen or heard part one, then I would highly recommend you listen to that one so that this episode makes a lot more sense, especially if you're rusty or have no idea about the growth and the fixed mindset. I'm going to be talking specifically about how that is super important in the context of education. So yeah, in general, it'll probably just make more sense for you if you listen to the first one. And I think that is it. Let's jump into it. Welcome back. So today we're following on from last episode where we introduced the growth and the fixed mindset and how majority of us are thinking in a fixed mindset without us knowing. And I personally, for me, I have definitely thought in a fixed mindset for most of my life. And I realized after reading Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, that oh shit, <laughs> oh shit, like there's a lot of stuff, academics or relationships or relating to the education system, which we're going into today, where there's a lot, a lot of fixed mindset. Anyway, so today we're focusing specifically on education and the education system and how we're really creating a fixed mindset culture, even though students need a growth mindset environment to actually love learning, to to feel okay uh, with, with failing and making mistakes which is not so much supported in a school environment, depending though, depending on how the teachers are. Because teachers, we're going to be talking about today, are the backbone of everything. Like how they conduct a classroom is just so important and that will feed directly to the students. So to start off this episode, I'm thinking of introducing a scenario. And this is directly from Carol Dweck's book, Uh, page 14 if you're interested. Imagine that you are a new student that's studying a language and you're a couple of lessons into your course and the teacher calls you up to the front, which is, I know, everyone's favorite. Everyone's favorite thing that happens, yes. And say you've got around 14 to 15 students, classmates, who are just staring straight at you. So Carol Dweck suggests there are two two perspectives, two mindsets uh, in this situation. The teacher starts throwing questions at you and just asking them and asking them, and you're required to, of course, respond or just stare and cry, (laughs) whichever you prefer. So the first mindset, first of all, everyone's staring at you. Everyone is staring at you. They're probably judging you. Your teacher is expecting something from you. You're feeling a bit of anxiety. You're like, oh shit, what if I stuff up? What if I make a fool of myself? What if I look stupid? So that's the first mindset. Second mindset is go to the front and you're like, yeah, duh. That's why I'm here. If I make a mistake, if if everyone looks at me and I make a mistake, well, that is literally why I'm here. I'm a beginner, I'm a novice, I don't know really what I'm studying, but if a teacher points out my mistakes, well, now I have something specific to work on. I think what this scenario points out to all of us is that it's not that we are either fixed mindseted or we're growth mindseted. It's that the same person can have two completely different mindsets if we just train ourselves to think in the second way. 
And so from last episode, which we discussed, developing a growth mindset, it's so important and it's completely, completely trained. Like you can train yourself to think in a growth mindset and catch yourself every time you're thinking in a fixed way. So just to sum up from last episode, the growth mindset is the mindset that you are constantly changing, that no one can develop, develop, no, no one can determine your potential because you're starting here and you could go in any direction and improve. So there's no such thing as either a math student or not, or either a a sociable person or not. Like I... Side note, I remember listening to a podcast a while ago, which talked about personality tests and whether they are just another fixed mindset thing. So I've listened to a lot of podcast episodes and I actually don't know exactly which one I was thinking of, but one that does come to mind is the Jordan Harbinger Show episode 365. Uh, This is with Benjamin Hardy. And the topic is how to break free from self-limiting beliefs. And I think what they cover as well is things about personality. So would highly recommend. Because once you identify, say, as an introvert or an extrovert, then you will continue or you will have confirmation or self-fulfilling... Whoa, I can't English. What is it? Self-fulfilling prophecy where you will think, oh, well, I'm an introvert. Therefore, well... I don't want to socialize with you because I'm an introvert. It it was a very interesting episode. If I remember, I will link it somewhere. Uh, Okay, so growth mindset, yeah, you're continually improving. You don't look at your failures like they are a fixed thing. You look at them as a chance to grow or an, an opportunity to learn and therefore grow. Fixed mindset is the opposite. So you are adamant or or just not adamant it's subconscious most of the time it's the thought that well I'm not really good at this right now so I can't see a future with me doing it so for example if you fail something twice or three times then you might just have the idea that well I'm not cut out for this even though it could be that just the strategy that you were doing or using or the way that you were approaching it was just different and you needed more guidance that comes into education as well. But um, I have I have a, a story, actually, from my high school of a teacher that, looking in hindsight, was just the most fixed mindseted teacher in the world and was anxiety-inducing like, anxiety and created just a really fixed culture which fed to all of her students. So... This teacher was a Latin teacher, and I know that if my high school friends were to listen to this episode, they would know exactly who I'm talking about, but my friend who was in her class uh, was not doing so well, was really not doing so well. She was close to failing, and what a supportive teacher would do, or a growth mindset teacher would do, would be, okay, I can see that you're struggling in these areas or maybe it's the whole thing you're struggling with the subject that just means that either your foundations are rusty or or the way that you're approaching this task is is not sustainable or it's just not helping you so let's find alternatives let's give you extra supplementary material because i know you can improve but for your situation maybe you just require more time 
Amazing response. A plus, Joe. <laughs> but this teacher instead pulled her aside and said, hey, so I see that you're really dropping in this class um, and I would just suggest that you drop out of this class. <laughs> so, so she was not even like, hey, let's improve this, but hey, you're dropping and therefore you're not to the standard of this class. So please just leave this class. <laughs> oh, it just angers me. It frustrates me because I know that this is more common than not. Like, I know that there are a lot of teachers who do this. And I think that's very toxic because for my friend, she could have excelled in Latin. She could have excelled. But if a teacher loses hope in you, as a byproduct, you would lose hope in yourself, unfortunately. And and also, she was the second one to go. There was a, actually a girl before her who was asked to drop out and who subsequently dropped out. So my friend already in the back of her mind was like, oh, no, I'm next because I'm not doing so well in this class and this person left. So you can imagine that she's now studying in fear. She's studying with the pressure that she might be next and might drop out. And after her drop, dropping out, can you imagine the other people who are just being like, oh, shit, I'm next. I think I'm next. And I think I need to uh, pretend that I know everything or, or um, you know, like really study because I have a fear of being kicked out of this class instead of I'm studying because I actually like the content and because I want to challenge myself. You're unintentionally creating a fixed mindset culture with all of the high-achieving students as well who are like, I, I need to look and stay in first or second or whatever position because the teacher did, you know, really favoritize the high-achieving students, unsurprisingly. <laughs> so in this environment, I just remember me being scared every time I would enter that classroom thinking, oh my God, have I done all the homework? Uh, what if I get picked on in class? Will I... I, I will 100% get judged by the teacher because maybe she wasn't, but it honestly felt like it was. Like it really felt like a judgmental environment. So when there's judgment, you can't make mistakes, even though make mi making mistakes is the way to grow and the way to learn. Ironically. So yeah, it was just a very toxic studying environment. And there was a Part of the book, I think, yeah, it was page three, I think the very first page after the prologue, and Carol Dweck did a study and did a study for these very young students, young kids, like 10 years old, and they were introduced to puzzles, and the more they did it, the more difficult they would become. And Carol Dweck wanted to see what their reactions would be when they faced the more difficult things. And to her surprise... A lot of them were like, well, yeah, I love a good challenge <laughs> and, and random things that she just never expected. And she said this one crucial thing. She said, not only weren't they discouraged by failure, they didn't even think they were failing. They thought they were learning. And that is the key environment that you want as, as a teacher, as an educator, to create for your students or for whoever's looking up at you. And 
I can safely say that that was not <laughs> not the environment in Latin. Every time, so what did I say? Not in, discouraged by failure. We were a hundred percent discouraged by failure because it was. If you stuffed up, and I'm I'm re- recollecting all the thoughts that have triggered me. <laughs> um, so I would sit in class, and if the teacher would ask me a question, first of all, honor. Oh I don't want to make a mistake. So I tentatively say the answer in fear that if I make a mistake, if I fail, then I'm going to be judged by the teacher and be seen as lesser than. Except with a growth mindset, it's that if you fail, if you make a mistake, then that's your learning process. That is how you're learning. And there was another question she asked the students, which was, when do you feel smart? And some of them said, oh, when it's easy for me and not for others, or when I don't make mistakes, or when I get it straight away, versus the growth mindset responses, which were when I try really hard. So when I, I feel smart when I try really hard, and when I can do something I couldn't before. So that could even be a teacher in class, like pointing out that moment. So when a student couldn't get it for a while and then managed to answer that, question correctly to really congratulate and and praise that student in that moment to also send a uh, an unspoken signal to the rest of the students that hey I'm I'm noticing when you're improving and I'm noticing that even though you make a mistake here which I'm not judging you for I'm going to point out when you actually make that jump and and to praise the process of learning Okay, so I don't know how to do a proper segue, but we are now segueing into my recent school placement and the fixed mindsetedness in that culture. I have a few stories from my placement that I did in last year, end of last year, like November, December, in a secondary school. And the fixed mindseted culture and mindset was very similar or identical to when I was in school and identical to when our parents were in school and sadly identical to what will be if, if we don't do something about it. So first thing, I heard so many students say, I suck at maths. I'm not a math student. Oh, I should mention I was teaching maths and science. So (laughs) my examples will generally be around maths and science. So I'm not a math student, I suck at maths, I hate maths. All of these things, especially saying I'm not a math student, every time I heard that, my my head, I would like supersonic hearing and then be like, you're not a math student yet. Like yet, there is a reason why you're not excelling. Because I I didn't want to pretend and be like, oh no, but you are. Because what's that going to do? Like they're just going to say, nah, I'm not. So to, to emphasize to them that, yeah, okay, the strategies that you're using right now are not sustainable, that there's something wrong with it. Not to say that there's something wrong with you, but your actions need to change in order to get better at maths. However, because they don't have the yet mentality that they're like, I'm not a math student, they study less for it. They study less for it. They try less, which is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it makes sense. The less you do something and the less you try at something, the worse you're going to get. So then they would confirm to themselves, yeah, I'm not a math student. And you can see how it just continued on and on. And it was just unfortunate to see them at like year eight, year nine, 
to just already adopt that mentality. And there's a person who, uh, Barbara Oakley, she's, she wrote the book How Learning How to Learn, I think. And she says that she was mainly a linguistics student. I think she studied Russian or something. And she was really, really not a math student, not a science student, even though she then did her master's or whatever in a very scientific or mathematical field. So did a quick stalk and Barbara Oakley was predominantly arts and linguistics uh, and she just didn't think that she was capable of maths and sciences until she did a degree in electrical engineering and then later became the professor in engineering. So goes to show that you can definitely learn how to learn. She just realized was not because she's not a math student, it's just because she didn't have the proper strategies. She didn't know how to learn how to learn. So once she mastered that, she felt like she was a math student in the end. So that's what I wanted these students to think is that they just haven't learned how to study for maths or study for science. But in an environment also where they have five other subjects to balance and they have limited reflection time and limited just downtime, it's really understandable why they would think the way they do. And I think that's then the teacher or the school's like intervention. They need to create a culture that is supportive of the growth mindset. And I'm going to explain in a little second uh, how to create an environment like that. Okay, so another thing students would say is, I'm dumb, miss. I'm dumb. I'm dumb. Or <laughs> not even I'm dumb, but they would point to their friend and just be like, hey, you're so dumb when they didn't get a maths question right, when they were on their calculator, like pressing some buttons and not knowing how to use it, or just asking more questions and just being like, I don't understand. And the friends would pitch in and be like, hey, you're dumb. And I was sh- like... I wanted to just stop the class and have a 101 on the word dumb and how it's very, very limiting. Uh, I wish I could have, but yeah, those time restraints, it sucks. And what's worse of all is that when their friends would say, hey, you're dumb, it's that the person would just, who was called dumb, would say, yeah, yeah, you're right. And they would laugh about it. And it would be accepting, like, yeah, I know I am dumb. Like, because if anything, if you're trying really hard, if if you don't get a question right, that doesn't mean that you're dumb. It just means that there is stuff to work on because the, the identity of dumb is just so limiting. Yeah, okay, so I got, like, really upset, like, internally upset. I think I, like, winced every time someone would say dumb. And I think part of that dumbness that people would point out was because people who got things straight away would be considered smart. And then the students who spent time on their calculators or were figuring it out on paper were considered dumb because they they just didn't, in that environment, have enough time to work on it. And people are all working at different paces. So I think it's just really unfortunate to see people being called dumb, even though people learn in different ways, people are on different learning journeys, and that it's just unfair to call someone dumb. 
And I think it's like my mission or my life mission to just make sure that the word dumb is not in that classroom, is is not to be a acceptable word in the classroom. Like, I don't mind, I don't even mind small swear words, okay? I, I'm probably not the best role model, but <laughs> when when kids would just be like, ah, shit, or ah, fuck, and I would hear that, I'd be like, well, I mean, my priorities are not with this. My priorities are with the word dumb. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that's me. Uh, and the culture of school in general, though, is really enforcing that mindset of dumb, of smart, because of, okay, in WA, in Western Australia, there is a program called The Gifted and Talented. No, God, please, no, no! And when I found out about that, First, I did a little internal vomit, and I just... Gifted and talented. Gifted and talented. What does that say about the students who aren't? I mean, okay, I don't want to be the Grinch and say that students don't deserve to be gifted and talented. Because, of course, like, if you're accelerating and if you're doing well, of course you want to be praised for that. That's great. But the the connotation of gifted and talented also means that whoever's not in it is untalented or ungifted. And like I mentioned last episode, a gifted person in, in mindset in the book said, my gift is not my innate smartness or my natural talent. My gift is my obsession with learning, my curiosity. And I want to add that the word gifted and the word talented all discount the hard work that people put in. And I'm going to acknowledge that, yes, prodigies do exist. But for the most part, people just work damn hard to get to where they are. But other people only really acknowledge the giftedness and believe that they're naturals, even though their real name should just be insanely driven and hardworking. And there, I remember in primary school as well, there were programs called Pi or Gateway, where higher achieving students would be taken out of class. And I don't even know. I, I was never part of it. Maybe that's also, I'm just salty. Like I have a subconscious saltiness for, for the whole program, but nah. And I, another thing is grades. And I've done, I've talked about it many times. I've dedicated a YouTube video to it all about grades and why I think they are shit. And I think an episode in this podcast, which I will insert in a little side note if I remember what it is. So that would be episode two called Problems with Standardization and Compliance in Schools. And we don't go too much into grades, but we definitely do about standardization and how that kills our unique creativity. But grades. So grades are just... They are for efficiency, for schools to just pinpoint a rough estimate where students are. But I think, if anything, the schools really need to emphasize the point of grades and how they do not identify with the student. Like, if you get a bad grade, it's not that you are that you are that gr- bad grade, but that takes more effort from the school. And I think grades just have naturally have a connotation to it. And, oh, yeah, there was another another instance where I handed back a test, and this was a post-test, so they did their maths work, and then I handed back their post-test, I marked it as well, and they, I think only one in the class got above a pass, 
And that's understandable also because they were doing the year above. So they were doing a test. If you're in year nine, you did a post-test for year 10 just to see where you are and where the teacher will place you in that in that year. And when I handed the test back, some students were just like to me, hey, th- this is garbage. Like they got their mark and they saw like one out of 10 and they were like, this is garbage. I don't need this. This is ridiculous. You can have it back. And they were just you know, someone started shredding their, shredding their paper. And I was like, no, because I can understand that because the grade sucks. Yeah. You see one out of 10 and you're like, well, what was the point? But it's to be like, Hey, okay. There's like nine out of 10 things that you need to work on. Like this is a good indication of what you know and what you need to work on and what essentially what you don't know. You have the whole holidays to really focus on this stuff. But of course, if you didn't choose the content, you're not going to spend your summer holidays doing it, which is really unfortunate. So I was just really sad to see how as soon as they got a bad grade that they were just resistant and it sort of just reinforced again how um, how they're not a math student. So I think this can all be reversed. I honestly think that there is a way, for sure that there is a way to create an environment where if you handed back a 1 out of 10 test, that that student would say, oh damn, okay, there's a lot of stuff I need to work on, but that doesn't mean that I failed, like I'm a failure. And I think that there are two two educators, at least from the book, that really stood out to me. Marva Collins, unsurprisingly. Marva Collins is, if you know that name, it's because I did an episode where I dedicated it to her and her badassery, as well as this other man called Jamie Escalante. And so they were two key growth mindset teachers, and they created environments that were supportive, non-judgmental, because they were working with really low socioeconomic students who were like regarded as just never being able to learn. And I think an effective environment for the growth mindset is non-judgmental, supportive, safe. Safe is very important. And I think that leads to judgment because when you're feeling unsafe or when you're feeling judged, you're afraid to show your true potential, like where you are at right now, because you want to hide a little bit in fear that people will judge you. <clears throat> Latin. Nurturing. Nurturing is a really big one. To make sure that the students know that the teacher cares about them. About them and their well-being as well. Well-being is going to be, I think, the next episode. I have a lot to speak about well-being. But all of these things, as well as to admit mistakes as well. and to And to stuff up. To stuff up and to accept it. So that that shows that the students as well won't get judged when they stuff up. And this is like, I've done my singing lessons for a while now. I started last year. And I think what makes my teacher so great is that I feel okay when I stuff up because he has emphasized the need to stuff up and how he is very comfortable stuffing up too. And so I really feel like I'm in a supportive, non-judgmental environment which is why I feel like I've improved so much since when I started. And so I think a key thing as well with Marva Collins and with Jamie Escalante is the questions that they asked. So I think Carol Dweck emphasized, it's not, can I teach them? Is it possible to teach them? Not like the Latin teacher was like, well, is it even possible to 
have you improved? Like, can I actually teach you? But how can I teach you? How, with the resources that we have, and with the teaching style, and with your way of learning, how can I teach you? It's not a po- it's not a question of is it possible, but it's a question of where where should we start? And another idea, which is if a student doesn't get something, then it's only because they haven't learnt how to get there. It's not a matter of they will never know, but it's just there needs to be alternative ways to get there. And so it really starts with that support, with that nurturing and, and empathy, and to really show the students that you care about them and that they're not just students, but that they are people. And something that Marva Collins does really well is that, and also Jamie Escalante, is that they set really high standards So it's not just a matter of saying, oh, you can improve, you can improve, but setting the benchmark pretty low because there's an implied connotation that, well, your expectations are only here. So the student themselves would just be like, well, I guess I'm just that material. But if you set your expectations high, like Marva did, so what she did was she told the class who were basically illiterate, like they couldn't read, they couldn't write, that they would be analyzing Shakespeare and all of that like like later in the year. She was she told them and her expectations were high. However, she gave them instructions on how to get there. She she guided them to reach those really high goals. And so it's not just about setting high expectations, it's about teaching them how to get there. So I'm going to end this episode now, and because I'm obsessed with Marva Collins, I'm going to end with something that she said. So this was when she was asked about forging the contract with those students at the start of the class and telling them her expectations. So she said, I know most of you can't spell your name. You don't know the alphabet. You don't know how to read. You don't know homonyms or how to syllabicate. Syllabicate? Syllabicate. I promise that you will. None of you has ever failed. School may have failed you. Well, goodbye to failure, children. Welcome to success. You'll read hard books in here and understand what you read. You'll write every day, but you must help me to help you. If you don't give anything, don't expect anything. Success is not coming to you. You must come to it. Oh, I love it because she is just, she's saying, I have high expectations for you. However, I hope that you have high expectations for yourself because you need to work like damn hard to get to reading Shakespeare and analyzing Shakespeare. You need to work hard. So she's inviting them in and inviting them to work for themselves. And there's something else that she said about not being a miracle worker, which let me get that up. Ah, yeah. So she says this. There is no magic here. Mrs. Collins is no miracle worker. I do not walk on water. I do not part the sea. I just love children and work harder than a lot of people. And so will you. What a role model. Let's end it there. And I will see you next time. Bye.